Hello, this is Adam Sexton, and the Past and the Pending podcast returns once again from an unplanned hiatus. Once again. For this solo episode, I'll be dropping back into my past in an attempt to look back on the way that I watched and processed media, and in this case, uh, films will be the topic. There was a time before the internet existed, or at least before it was more commonplace, and the lack of such of a tool as the internet didn't stop me from seeking out new films to watch. We now live in a time where seeking out films or programs is very easier than ever, but but back then it was a different story. And in the early 90s, when an aunt and uncle of mine moved to another town, they offered to sell their satellite and the receiver that came with it to my parents. And thankfully, my parents uh, bought it from them. This opened up a new window of possibilities. And with only a few film reference guides and whatever I can learn from my brother, the access to the satellite dish, which was from, I believe, 1992 till the early aughts, maybe 2002 or 2003, uh, the access to the satellite was a truly eye-opening version of film education. And plus... The idea of recording movies or TV shows with the VCR was very common in my household, so that truly made it easier to build a library. And and while I was compiling the research that I was doing for this uh, podcast episode, I happened to find a uh, little cardboard box full of uh, the few tapes that I still have in my uh, uh, my possession. Like I'm pulling out one right now, and it has the Terminator and how I won the war and Operation Petticoat on one tape. Another one has the Orson Welles version of Macbeth and Under Siege and Splendor in the Grass. And some of these uh, didn't just come from the two channels that I will soon talk about. They also came from HBO or Cinemax or during those periods that we actually had uh, access to through the satellite uh, subscription found one that has uh this is very much from the ifc channel uh dead alive that that was the zombie film that peter jackson made there's also swimming with sharks and uh the passion of joan of arc i'm also finding one from tcm see it's so weird i can still remember what channels i record these from i find one that has i walked with the zombie the knack and how to get it and Marilyn Monroe The Final Days. And let's see, what else? There's the German film M, and Sirens, and Unforgiven. There's one with uh, A Simple Plan, and Torn Curtain, which is an Alfred Hitchcock film I still haven't watched. And even uh, Slacker, uh, Richard Linklater's first feature film. I even have one that has the Three Colors Trilogy. There's even one that has, I can't remember which version this is, The Man Who Knew Too Much. So I don't know if this is the Hitchcock version that has Peter Lorre or Jimmy Stewart. Uh, I'll need to watch it again. And it also has a documentary called The Wonderful Horrible Life of Leni Riefenstahl, which was based on the uh, German filmmaker who... Um, made the documentaries Triumph of the Will and Olympia, but I'm digressing. In order to tell you about the library and the films that I watched, 
there needs to be a story and this story begins as all stories do I'd like to think with the stereo cabinet so imagine the stereo cabinet it's black it's got multiple shells it, it even has wheels on the bottom and uh, this stereo cabinet is lined up and down with VHS tapes and the spaces that were intentionally made for a receiver or a turntable or an 8-track player and uh, some room for cassettes and 8-track tapes and vinyl and perhaps there was once a reason to use the cabinet for its intended purpose but for a film lover like myself VHS tapes were growing in size with no signs of slowing down or stopping and I was running out of places to put them VHS tapes were very easy birthday and Christmas gifts and sometimes I'd spend allowance or eventually a paycheck in acquiring them putting them in a box seemed lazy or wrong I wanted my library my library of films painstakingly recorded through endless nights of successful negotiation of acquiring the use of the one lone satellite receiver in the living room of my parents house the only room where it was available I had to work around other members of the family wanting to watch something I had to work around my older brother wanting to record something and sometimes he did and sometimes he beat me to it mostly I had to work around the fact that the receiver and the satellite itself didn't belong to me so my say didn't always account for much I was thankful and remain thankful for the negotiations that I won if I was lucky the movie was repeated later on within a given month and if it wasn't uh, perhaps it would come on again next month or so my brother left for college in around 1996 so this kind of made it easier although he would come in on the weekend so sometimes I'd have to negotiate even then but anyway back to the tapes I needed storage an ideal place where they would be easy to find safe from the elements and little did I know that the VHS tapes would soon fill up the cabinet to such a degree that I would need to, to uh, buy myself a notebook just to catalog all the tapes what was on the tapes what shelf I could find them in I even labeled the VHS tapes with numbers so that they could be placed on certain shelves and they'd be easier to locate and I know where to put them back on the shelf before my parents moved in 2004 the cabinet broke down and I was resigned to boxes after moving two to three times due to college or work I would soon say goodbye to most of the tapes by that point I was fully accepting of the DVD revolution and these VHS tapes uh, were full of recordings that were of mostly standard quality and their quality was fading they wouldn't last very long it never dawned upon me that media like that could deteriorate over time it never occurred to me that selecting the slowest recording speed for the most recording space on the tape would result in a weaker image especially over time but I didn't mind I had a library a library that now only consists of around 20 or so VHS tapes that have not been discarded for whatever reason like a movie that has been made available on DVD or Blu-ray or through a streaming service I'm not sh sure what kind of criteria I considered for when I discard the tapes I was moving away I was off to college or I was moving to a town because I got a new job and I just couldn't take everything with me 
and the tapes were truly a hassle. The DVD collection was growing and I simply had no need uh, for the archived hours of recordings made from HBO and Cinemax and Turner Classic Movies and the Independent Film Channel and American Movie Classics and TBS and TNT and so on and so forth. And the more that I think about it, the more it saddens me that all that work and money and uh, uh, effort didn't amount to a collection that I can still check into. I, I know that it may be into the film fam that I eventually became, you know, the one I'm s still today. Uh, in my last solo episode, I talked about how certain film reference books shaped my renting and occasional buying habits, but they truly affected my recording habits as well. Uh, with the satellite dish and the receiver and the subscription, we had to buy a satellite TV programming schedule after a while, and these things were like the size of notebooks, and they were heavily detailed, uh, plenty of articles in the first section, such as reviews or articles that pointed out noteworthy programs for the month. And then the huge portion of the guide revealed itself, these little space sheet like grids which were which are commonplace for uh, TV guides now but they were enough to accommodate most if not all the channels the last part of the guides were like the indexes and this was the section that I would go to first I would take a highlighter or a marker and highlight the films that I'd be interested in find the corresponding air dates on the schedule and mark them so that other members of the family would know that I plan to record something should it be available. Now, as I said before, sometimes it could be worked out, sometimes not. Maybe I was lucky that a program was to be aired multiple times within the month, sometimes not. The moment that satellite television became available to my family in the early 90s, it, it felt like so many pages of the film books or the guides that I owned would uh, yield to more and more possibilities. I could uh, see more of these films now, uh, potentially, theoretically, maybe even hopefully. Did I get a lot out of what I was aiming for? I think I got my fair share. Did some titles escape? Oh yes, they truly did. I uh, will never forget the serious pang of regret that I had for missing a broadcast of the silent version of Napoleon. I believe this was directed by Abel Gantz, if I'm... Um, mispronouncing that name I'm sorry and I'm so sure that it once aired on Turner Classic Movies once in the late 90s uh, I can remember making a note of it now all that I can remember is when I showed up to work one Saturday morning and this was my first job was working at a gro local grocery store and I was refilling the gallon jugs of milk on a shelf one Saturday morning and while I was doing that, just all of a sudden, it just hit me. I forgot to schedule a recording, and I felt like such an idiot. To my recollection, that version of Napoleon hasn't been on TV since. Technically, it's not the best way to view the film, but it was the only avenue available to me, and I still haven't seen it. I have to sit back and just soak in one more person after another telling me how awesome it is and hopefully I'll get to see it someday on like a repertory theater or maybe uh, it'll come back to cable. I don't know. I'm still waiting TCM. One thing I'm not waiting for anymore is the independent film channel now known as IFC. It's basically dead to me. 
Uh, the channel doesn't even slightly resemble what it was back then. IFC still has a uh, section of their company that produces films, which is great, but they put more emphasis on original programming and less on the films in regards to their own channel. They don't show foreign films that much anymore. They show recent stuff, more commercial fare. Even worse, they've added commercials. Always on, slightly off is their slogan, and it's supposed to be edgy, I suppose, but that just means it's abandoned the format that made such an impact, and I'm not so sure what changed it. Maybe it was a ratings issue, or a funding issue, or a change in management. Maybe it was all of those things. But I can't even bring myself to tune into it, and it still feels kind of painful. In one of the past episodes, and this was, I believe, the f it could be either the first or second episode that I recorded with Adam Howard, one of my past movie picks was a documentary called Z Channel, A Magnificent Obsession. And... Uh, Hopefully you've seen it by now. If you haven't, I'd still recommend it. But watching that movie and noticing how that that the history of that channel, how it starts is just like this great channel for movies being unedited and uh, uncensored and in their original widescreen format, if available, and in their original language. And seeing how competition from uh, other cable networks, such as... Uh, HBO or so uh, led to Z Channel needing to be having some kind of sponsorship. It needed to run ads at some particular point. It needed to add sporting events to its channel. I just couldn't help but notice that there were parallels between Z Channel and IFC. But uh, on the bright side, Turner Classic Movies is still amazing. It's still commercial-free broadcast of movies, as always, and there's always emphasis on the films and the people who made them. And they've made more attempts for foreign films and offbeat fare, that you, but you need to find them late at night. And it's one of the reasons that I'm still stupid enough to subscribe to cable. I can't imagine not turning on that channel and not stumbling into an old favorite, like a... Uh, reputed classic that I've never seen before or an oddity or an overlooked gem that I'll take a chance on. But let's start with uh, the Independent Film Channel. The Independent Film Channel debuted in September the 1st, 1994. By the mid-2000s, it incorporated original programming and acquired television programs. In 2010, it became an advertised sponsor service and it started showing ads during films for like commercial breaks. Some programs were and are still censored despite TVMA ratings. IFC now stands just for IFC, which means it stands for nothing, but I'm about to give you a sampling of the many films and the filmmakers that I experienced during IFC's heyday and it could go on and on. I'm, uh, hopefully I won't lose you during this whole section. So through the independent film channel I discovered Akira Kurosawa. I saw Seven Samurai for the first time which was a huge huge moment for me. That was like my first Japanese film obviously my first samurai film and it opened me up to the possibilities of world cinema depending on what day you ask me it's probably my favorite film of all time but I'll need to watch it again just to make sure that I feel that way I also saw Yojimbo I saw Rashomon I saw Ron which was his uh, King Lear uh, I don't know remake maybe just uh, his own take of uh, King Lear uh, Kajemusha. Musha 
Akira Kurosawa's Dreams and The Hidden Fortress, which, as most Star Wars fans know, was uh, an inspiration for George Lucas. But there was one film in particular called Derzu Uzala, which was a film that Kurosawa made in 1975. And it's about this friendship between a Russian explorer and an, this aboriginal tribesman that, and how their friendship develops due to their experiences in braving the Far East Russian wilderness. And I recall the outdoor sequences which were shot on location and looked thrilling and uncomfortable. But also the third act when uh, civilization comes in and old age sets in and both seems to put a stop to their adventures. And it's one of Kurosawa's most bittersweet and gentle films and I haven't seen it since on any format. So hopefully, uh, maybe I'm wrong, maybe it is available and I just uh, haven't taken notice of it yet. But I would like to revisit it one day. On IFC, that was my first uh first exposure to a lot of movies by Spike Lee. I did see Do the Right Thing for the first time on, I think it was like NBC and uh, this was like in the early 90s and despite the censoring brought on by the uh, network the movie still felt like this sobering gut punch and seeing the movie in widescreen and seeing it uncensored made it just a more affecting memorable film and uh, also I got to see movies like Crooklyn and Jungle Fever and Clockers and She's Gotta Have It But any, and, I, and it looks like IFC had access to most of the movies that Spike Lee did with Universal so that's probably why we didn't see any of the other ones past that point but moving on IFC was also the first time I uh, came across Kevin Smith and his films may seem like lowbrow, but they're still very entertaining and they're well written. And they are landmarks of the uh, independent film scene of the early 90s. So uh, IFC would show, would heavily show uh, Clerks and uh, Chasing Amy. Uh, also, I got to see El Mariachi by uh, Robert Rodriguez, another shining example of the independent film scene. I don't. I don't know if his making of book, Rebel Without a Crew, is still in print, but I'd highly recommend that you hunt it down, uh, whatever you feel about his current output. What this guy went through to get his film made is still extraordinary, and I still love El Mariachi. It's, uh, it's a more of a soulful, emotional film than Desperado is, despite the fact that I still like Desperado. Uh... IFC provided me my first exposure to Mike Lee. They showed uh, films like Naked and uh, Secrets and Lies quite a bit. I don't recall seeing a whole lot of Mike Lee on the channel, but these films were heavily shown and promoted, and they're just absolutely brilliant. I need to revisit them one day. Uh, IFC also would put out their own kind of... Uh, making of uh, documentaries much like TCM and uh, one of these that I still I still own it and I even recorded it to a DVR uh, disc is Donald Campbell The Ultimate Performance which was a great making of about uh, this director Donald Campbell who co-directed the movie Performance with Nicholas Rogue and that's the film that had a gangster played by Edward Fox who falls in with this uh rock star played by Mick Jagger and uh, the documentary is just fascinating and you're always you're getting a good look at what kind of an artist 
Donald Camel was, what he tried to accomplish through with his films, and how they were so offbeat that a lot of people just uh, turned their nose up at them. And and uh, it's it's just uh, it's just extraordinary. Um, but uh, ultimately, the Camel documentary led me to the films of Nicholas Rogue. So through them, I got to see Walkabout, which also heavily played on IFC. Uh, I got to see Don't Look Now, which I think played on other channels, and I would eventually rent The Man Who Fell to Earth. So, you know, one good filmmaker leads to another. Uh, I also got to see Solaris by Andrei Tarkovsky. And the pace of this film and all of his films are initially off-putting, but with some repeated viewing attempts, eventually I fell into the groove, so to speak. And developing patience enabled me to watch and enjoy his other films and many others. You know, sometimes films like Solaris can teach you about patience and storytelling that moves on its own time, moves on its own schedule. And uh, through both TCM and ISC, I discovered Francois Truffaut, so I got to see The 400 Blows and Jewels and Jim and Shoot the Piano Player and Stolen Kisses and I mean they're all wonderful films uh, IFC was definitely a home for Lars von Trier and that's where I saw Breaking the Waves and uh, Zentropa and von Trier remains one of the hardest nuts to crack in terms of enduring his films I guess uh, while I haven't seen Breaking the Waves more than once I remember its power and how it felt like such an exposed raw nerve so uh, I do recommend it if you if you haven't seen it I also saw some Federico Fellini films on both channels and for reasons that I can't articulate I, I haven't fallen head over heels for every film of his that I've seen La Dolce Vita kind of leads me cold as well as uh, Amor Cord if if I'm pronouncing that correctly I'm probably am not but movies like Eight and a Half and La Strada were very uh, were very affecting and very moving and I do recommend seeing those uh, with Vittorio De Sica I got my first taste of neorealism and uh, The Bicycle Thief and Umberto D. I would recommend those films as well. IFC also brought me to the attention of a filmmaker by the name of Louis Buñuel. I'm probably not pronouncing that at all, but he made films like uh, The Exterminating Angel and uh, also this film, The Discreet Charm of the Bourgeoisie, which uh, was my first taste of surrealism, and I can recall that its charm was its unpredictability in the events of the movie and I wonder how I'd feel about it if I watched it again and of course IFC would always bring you to around to Ingmar Bergman one of the masters especially in exploring all the corners of the human heart uh, and I got to see stuff like Seventh Seal and Wild Strawberries and Fanny and Alexander and Persona and certain movies of his like The Virgin Spring and Cries and Whispers are not easy viewings, but the others were just warm and tragic and at times even fantastic. I got to see certain films by Philip Kaufman like Henry and June and The Unbearable Lightness of Being. Henry and June was my first NC-17 film and I do believe that I was too young to truly understand it, so maybe one day I'll go back and watch it. Um, 
unbearable lightness in, of being i've revisited several times uh i did see it when i was in my teens then i saw it again maybe i think two times when i was in my 20s and once again when i was in my early 30s and it's definitely a film that plays better the older that you get because it is basically about life uh, i saw two of uh, danny boyle's early films such as shallow grave and train spotting and shallow grave was this amazing take on the modern uh noir or crime story that the coen brothers explored in films like blood simple and fargo and miller's crossing and it was funny and subversive and gory and uh truly disturbing especially in the second half and train spotting was also a blast and it had that great kinetic first half but the second half truly sobered me up and made me kind of uh weary or distrustful of the good vibes from the first half but it also had a kick-ass soundtrack uh, ifc also led me to my first exposure to steven soderbergh i think i did rent sex lies and videos tape from a video from the video mart first but i would see it on this channel as well and the other films such as the underneath and schizopolis and king of the hill they really brought forth the fact that Soderbergh loved actors and dialogue and you could see film to film how his visual eye kept expanding with each film. Uh, they did actually show the uh, film Kafka which had Jeremy Irons in it but I don't think I quite caught that movie. I'll need to hunt it down uh, later on. The Underneath was just beautiful to look at even though it's about the most des despicable of people. And I truly need to watch Schizopolis again because I can't begin to tell you what it's about. So maybe another viewing will answer that question. IFC was also the first place where I saw Wes Anderson's Bottle Rocket. It was also the first place where I saw certain films by Roman Polanski such as Knife on the Water and Repulsion and Macbeth. Which I'm glad to know that Macbeth is available on Blu-ray thanks to the Criterion Collection. Uh, I saw The Wages of Fear, which was this great French thriller. Most people will probably be more familiar with the remake that William Friedkin made, which is called Sorcerer with uh, Roy Scheider. But the, and that, that movie is great as well, but the original film is still effective at weaving one suspenseful moment to another, and that ending is also just such a slap in the face. I also got to see sir, another French uh, crime movie called uh, Diabolique, and uh, I also got to see stuff like Cinema Paradiso and the Three Colors Trilogy. One movie that I kind of wish I still kept my copy with is uh, Tokyo Olympiad, which is a 1965 documentary on the 1964 Summer Olympics that was that were held in Tokyo, Japan, and I can remember the look of this film and how it placed more emphasis on athletes in their natural habitat or state which is another way of saying while they are performing than who won and the photography and the the staging of the, the sporting events was just was just so memorable and i hope that this gets released on uh blu-ray or dvd by either the criterion collection or someone else criterion did put out did put it out on dvd but my the library in my area no longer carries a copy so i'm guessing some bastard stole it or damaged it and they couldn't get another copy 
I would also see Richard Linklater's uh, Slacker for the first time here. I would have to hunt down all his other films separately, but uh, Slacker was just another one of those eye-opening, mind-blowing uh, films. And there was also a film called Nadja, which is a 1994 vampire film, which I can remember two things about it. It had certain fo- certain footage that was shot using a Fisher-Price pixel camera, and there was also some really good usage of uh, songs by My Bloody Valentine and Portishead, the latter of which, uh, by the time I had seen the movie, I was already a big fan of uh, albums like Dummy. Uh, IFC also showed the original cut of THX 1138, which, if my memory serves, is no longer available due to Lucas uh, retouching the film. And it also included the short film that uh, this movie was based on, so I still have this on VHS and I'll never get rid of it. And I can remember the Laserdisc format, even though I never owned one. There was a period when my family would take a trip to North Little Rock and do some Christmas shopping. This would be around November, maybe during the Thanksgiving holiday. And we would hit the mall in that area. And I would make a beeline to whatever electronic store was selling movies or music. And while I can't remember the name of the store exactly... I do remember one that always had a laser dissection, and I was seriously taken by this format. Um, I would just study these big, hefty boxes that had special editions of, say, Aliens or Terminator 2 or Jaws or the Star Wars films. And this format allowed for certain features that wouldn't be available on VHS or things that seemed commonplace and taking for granted now such as commentary tracks or extensive behind-the-scenes documentaries and uh, on IFC there were certain films that would be broadcast with their not only with their original aspect ratio but with uh, their audio commentaries most of these taken from the Criterion collection Uh, so you'd get to see uh, audio commentaries for Kevin Smith's Clerks or El Mariachi or The Last Temptation of Christ or Do the Right Thing and that that really blew my mind and I loved seeing the movies that way so by the time I got my own DVD player back in 2001 I was more than willing to just kind of soak up the supplemental materials for whatever DVD I purchased and let's move on to Turner Classic Movies. Now, according to uh, Wikipedia, TCM debuted on April the 14th, 1994, 6 p.m. Eastern Time, to be exact. I do remember the night that this happened, and I do remember that the first movie that they showed was uh, uh, Gone with the Wind. I'm not sure if we watched it already. I think my brother recorded Gone with the Wind on PBS a couple of years prior. But we all love the channel, and I still do. My brother recorded a lot of movies from this channel as well, and uh, his his love was definitely silent films, or maybe films from the 40s or 50s, like uh, you know uh, Charlie Chaplin, Buster Keaton, Harold Lloyd, Humphrey Bogart, uh, and I recorded some choice silent films as well. But most of these are foreign so I would see Battleship Potemkin or Intolerance or The Great Train Robbery 
or even Birth of a Nation, which um, is problematic for obvious reasons, but it's, it is part of film history for good or for worse. And TCM also brought my attention to many foreign films that wouldn't be out of place on IFC, such as last year at Marienbad, which is this 1961 film by Alan Renee's, which is gorgeous to look at, but absolutely incomprehensible, and it put both my parents and myself to sleep. Uh, certain Russian films by Sergei Eisenstein, uh, like Ivan the Terrible or Alexander Nevsky. There was even this great uh, French silent film called Les Vampires, which is a uh, made up of ten episodes and it told told like seven hours. And I still have my VHS copy that has all of the episodes on it. TCM also taught me about Alfred Hitchcock, and most of the essentials were shown on this channel, such as Psycho and Rear Window and North by Northwest, The 39 Steps, The Lady Vanishes, Notorious, Shadow of a Doubt, Saboteur, Suspicion, Lifeboat, and as for Vertigo, I would have to buy the movie separately. It was restored and re-released in the late 90s, and I bought one, bought a copy for myself on the field trip uh, that I took. And it never played on TCM during the 90s, as far as I can remember. And also, uh, TCM brought me brought my attention to Stanley Kubrick. I would see certain films like Doctor Strange Love or The Killing. And then there was this little no, this little gem of his called 2001: A Space Odyssey. And my history with this film is weird and uh, kind of hilarious now that I think about it. Um, I had to record 2001 A Space Odyssey multiple times because for some reason I felt like I had to have like the perfect broadcast. Satellite TV reception as some people will know is not always perfect and it was definitely not perfect with this huge dish outside and you know weather could easily affect it you know animals or twigs or whatever could easily affect it and I would watch I would record it and watch it and if there was any like uh, bad reception moments I, w- I would just think well now the recording's kind of screwed I'll have to record it again and I think I recorded it like five or six times I'll just say five that seems a little bit more respectful than six and I can remember my dad just getting angry at me f- for always recording it but you know he didn't understand but uh i don't know why i just could have held out for it was not impossible to obtain a widescreen version of 2001 uh in the previous uh solo episode i talked about how eventually i came across a copy of uh, a retail copy of the last of mohicans and uh I'm sure I could have acquired a widescreen copy of 2001, but no, that didn't matter to me. I needed to have like this perfect, perfect uh, copy of it. And usually, I would always have a problem during the Dawn of Man sequence, but uh, eventually, I got the version that I wanted, and then would eventually throw the tape that I had on. And now I own the Blu-ray, so it, I guess it's just a moot point now. Also through TCM, I would become uh, introduced to the works of uh, Michael Powell and Emmerich Pressburger. They were also known as the Archers. 
So I would see movies like The Red Shoes or A Matter of Life and Death and Black Narcissus or Peeping Tom or The Life and Death of Colonel uh, Blimp and I would and I would highly recommend that you see any any and all of these movies. They are all just, you know, masterpieces. Through TCM I also got to see certain films by David Lean for the first time, such as Bridge on the River Kwai and Doctor Shivago. They never did show Lawrence of Arabia for some weird reason. I would have to rent Lawrence of Arabia from the Pleasant Plains Video Mart, and thankfully this was the restored version. It wasn't widescreen, but TCM would also show things like Great Expectations and Summertime. And uh, I highly recommend you check those out if you haven't seen them. Uh, TCM also introduced me to uh, Billy Wilder, so you would be I would be able to see Sunset Boulevard and Some Like It Hot in the apartment in Double Indemnity. And uh, TCM also showed two uh, documentaries from Martin Scorsese and they were about the films that he watched, the ones that inspired him. So a personal journey with Martin Scorsese through American film. Uh, it is available to buy. I would highly recommend you check that one out. He also made a documentary regarding Italian cinema called My Journey to Italy. Now, I've recorded both of these documentaries to DVR, but my copy of uh, Journey to Italy just had like the weirdest audio problems. I basically have to turn the volume almost as high as I possibly can just to, just to listen to what's going on. But both of those documentaries are available to purchase. Maybe they're both available to rent through, say, Netflix's disc rental service I would highly recommend you check them out in 1999 TCM aired a four-hour version of greed uh, which was directed by Eric von Stroheim and this version of the movie used stills from cutscenes to expand on the story the film was originally eight hours long and the studios weren't happy with it they didn't see it as a commercially uh, viable product so they uh, took the movie from the director and cut it down to like two and a half hours. So this four-hour version is pretty much the longest cut we'll ever get since my understanding is the, f the full version of the film was pretty much destroyed so we can never get it back. So uh, what were these films doing to me as a moviegoer and as a person? I was watching more films that placed emphasis on uh, realistic, down-to-earth human experiences that weren't placed in familiar scenarios that were pumped out of the Hollywood system. I was witnessing approaches to every aspect of filmmaking that felt different but intriguing and, and, and not even remotely repulsive. I saw films from respective countries that featured acting that was inspired by American film and what came out of their respective cultures. And acting in Japanese films, for example, felt very heightened or exaggerated, especially when intensity or anger was involved. Some of these films were pushing aside my expectations for payoff. Sometimes the end was unexpectedly tragic. Sometimes it was left vague or unanswered. And at first it felt off-putting, and then I got used to it the more that I watched. Every now and then I turned to what was recent and popular and would be taken aback by what was accepted in the mainstream. Sometimes you can see the homages or nods to these past films. Sometimes a certain feel could be picked up on. 
Other times, you'd see the same thing over and over again, and maybe that was the draw. For a while, it felt like a new experience was happening on a weekly basis, and that was exciting. These viewings shape my taste. I'd like to think that I have a refined palate thanks to all of that, which I soaked up at, uh, like a sponge. And as a teenager in the 90s, being a nerd about anything meant that you were you most likely suppressed it and in my case that was very true i didn't know anyone who loved film as much as i do or had the interest in certain films that i did i couldn't get anyone to watch foreign films maybe my brother but you know that's not enough it was a different situation after i moved away from home and through in the made it through college and in living in the northwest part of Arkansas and growing up in the internet age it's easier to profess how much you love these uh, these films or just certain art forms in general that I was alone in seeking out the films that I did didn't stop me from seeking them out but I always wish that I could share it with someone else and these days that's not a problem anymore I meet like-minded souls all the time who have taken similar journeys with their uh, viewings and some have even gone further than I but, but this isn't about trying to one-up another and I recommend titles other people recommend titles to me and the hunt continues and I wonder if younger people will take a chance on older titles while they're so accessible it may take parents who care for works of the past to pass them on to their children and on to the future right now it's so easy to find them and so easy to fall into a rabbit hole that can take you back to cinema's infancy and i hope that curiosity never goes away if people feel the need to be current well, that's enough rambling from me as i stare at this box of vhs tapes i wonder if i'm coming off as a weirdo at this point but then again maybe i should embrace being a weirdo one of the goals of this podcast, after all, is to reflect on the past since it informs us on the present. It shapes us through the years as we digest and process media. We discuss it, we share it, and we keep it alive. If anyone listening to this would like to share their own experiences of watching films through either cable or satellite television or whatever avenue you would have to go through in order to see films before the internet or the streaming era existed, Please send an email or a voicemail to pastinpendingpodcast at gmail.com. I'd love to hear stories from other people, and I will either read your emails or play your voicemail in the next episode. My Twitter handle is avidacrajam. The hosting site address for this podcast is avidacrajam.podbean.com. And this has been another episode of the Past and Pending Podcast. And remember, you can't appreciate what you have now if you don't appreciate what came before. Look for the silver lining Whenever a cloud appears in the blue Remember somewhere the sun is shining So always look for silver lining and try to find the sunny side of life